Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Well, hello and good Monday morning. We have a very serious question that came in and feel like we need to deal with it. And that is, what should be our position on the death penalty as Christians? You're gonna find a lot of folk that would then answer that question with some rather definitive for it, against it, or for it in these circumstances, against it, except for. I'm not gonna give that to you because I don't have that kind of authority. If God didn't say it expressly, then I have to pull back a bit. Let's start with this. My position on the death penalty has changed dramatically in the last, I'd say, 20 years. But that's because the more exposure I have to those in prison and the more work I do with law enforcement officers, which is rather extensive every year, the more I'm seeing that the death penalty is not equal by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, there seems to be very little sense at all in how America does the death penalty and who gets it and who is eventually executed and how they're executed. The disparities are massive. But before we do that, let's do this. There's no question that in the Old Testament, the death penalty was not only um, did it exist, but it was repeatedly said that God said to do it. Now, for those of you out there that are going, well, wait, one of the commandments says thou shalt not kill. Actually, it doesn't. Um, it's lotishma, which means do no murder. And murder and killing are different. If you are uh, very empathetic, uh, empathetic for life of all creatures, maybe you're a vegan, you might not want to talk about those differences. But in law and in theology, there's a difference between killing and murder. The taking of a life for the benefit of one's own or out of anger and malice, that's murder. If you take a life because you were uh, negligent, that's called murder. Sometimes they will dial that back and call it negligent homicide, but it's still, you took a life and it was not necessary to do so uh, and it could have been avoided. But uh, killing would be something like, as in scripture, uh, where they made the cities a refuge. I might be chopping wood and I'll haul back and the head of the ax flies off and kills the guy that's you know, chopping the tree next to me. It wasn't intended, it was a complete accident, but I did kill. Well, that's not murder. And in the Old Testament, judicial homicide was not murder. So if you committed any of a large list of uh, offenses, you can find these offenses particularly in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Exodus has quite a few of them as well. There really are a lot. And there are for the, the things you would think about, such as um, uh, murder, uh, so, uh, such as um, uh, adultery, and for things you wouldn't think about, such as if you have a rebellious child that you just can't get under control and they backtalk you. Yeah, that was, they said, God said you could kill your kid. Uh, 
I'm not entirely convinced uh, that that's what God said or God wanted. And if that confuses you, that statement I just made, please make sure that you go to our YouTube channel, which you're really hooked into now, unless you're listening on the podcast, and start with the sermon that began February the 5th. And that series, that will help you understand why I just made that statement. All right? It's really important. We don't get any more money if you listen to those. I'm not trying to drive up any of that. But hey, you'll find out some really basic things about Scripture that may help you deal with some of these troubling passages. Now in the New Testament, what do we have? We have the, um, the King of Peace. We have Jesus, which is really quite a shocker after you've gone through the Old Testament and you find not only the rules, judicial rules, but there were also national wars that seemed to be declared by God. At least that's what they claimed. We do have to take this with about 4,000 grains of salt. For example, in Joshua, there's a list of all the cities, tribes, and towns that he completely wiped out. And then the next book, Judges, you find most of them are there. So historically, we can't find any evidence of the genocides or the like. Let that calm you for now. Listen to the February and March sermons when you can. We come to Jesus, it's a stark difference. And a lot of people will go, no, no, not so fast, because uh, you also see Paul saying that the state has a sword and that, and that God has, yeah, I know. You can also go and listen to the midweek Bible classes where we cover those passages. And so all of that material is already out there. And this is Monday, and I don't want to let this go into an hour and a half because who would want that on a Monday, right? I know you may be listening to us on a Tuesday, but that's really on you. <laughs> we post this rather early on a Monday morning. When Jesus comes, he's the Prince of Peace. He tells us to love our enemies. He tells us to turn the other cheek. He tells us to pray and to do good for those who despitefully use us. To me, that's the last word on, the me- on, on it. it. That's it. Well, does that mean then death penalty is completely off the table? You know, I think it probably is. However, I'm a human being. I see the stories. There's, there were two men that adopted a couple of kids and they immediately used them sexually for profit. Uh, these, are, these are babies. These are sub-double-digit age children. And they didn't do it just once. They farmed these kids out, made videos. I, you know, I, I understand. You know, I want to lead the charge with pitchforks and burning torches and nooses, but that's not what God has called me to be and to do. Reigning in our desires for vengeance is actually mentioned by Paul, who says, vengeance is mine, God is saying, vengeance is mine, I will repay. We're not to do that. So incarceration is, is what we do, what we should do. We have problems on all ends, all spectrums of the criminal justice system in the United States. I would also say that the United States is not alone in this, but that the United States is almost alone among Western countries when it comes to the death penalty. Most Western countries outlawed it some time ago, but the U.S. still has it in some states. Each state is allowed to have its own rules on this. That's in the Constitution, that they are entities with these freedoms. Uh, and even the way that they execute, you know, there are, there are a variety of ways still out there. That's, um, 
I think you're noticing there's a real slow roll on this because we're beginning to realize how torn up our system is. The intake system. A person can have 20, 30, 40 arrests. They can have three, four, seven felony arrests and still be on the streets and still harming someone else. And really there's impunity because without cash bail, they, they have many of these rules are complicated. It allows the offender just right back out, right back out, right back out. Well, we say, well, we don't want to imprison everybody. Fair enough. I don't either. But what you might not be aware is that in many countries, a life sentence is about 12 years. In America, they will sentence you, these are actual numbers, to 300 years plus another 60 for having a firearm with you. Um, the, a 19 year old, 17 year old, and they're in the system. I visit people in prisons who have been in prison for more than half their life. We're talking 27, 30 years. And they've done everything right in prison. They've taken every course they could take. They have never broken a rule. They have become trustworthy. They have shown they've turned their life around. Many of them have gotten degrees, bachelor's, master's, law degrees. And yet the system says, nope, never, never, never let them out. And here's another thing, a thing you must know. And a lot of people don't. Hang on, I'm going to reach for a book. <clears throat> and I'm going to put a link in the description to a... Um, there's a there's a little series on podcasts called My Life of Crime, and it, it's a spinoff from the Dateline 48 Hours type things. Um, and this this lady who's a lawyer, and you uh, you will recognize her name and such when you see the link. This um, she goes in and she interviews before and after the crime. You know, I'm sorry, before and after the sentencing, before and after even sometimes the arrest. Talking to somebody who says, I don't know who did it. Later on, a year, two years later, they're arrested, they're in prison, and she goes and interviews them then. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I think you'll like it. But this particular link is just maybe a half hour long, and it's with a man named um, Dr. Saul Kassin, who is a professor at John Jay College. And that, when you talk about um, criminal justice degrees and, and criminal justice studies, that's the Vatican City. I mean, that's the top place. And he and the Innocence Project and many others like the Innocence Project are working hard to let you know the truth behind our system. For example, what if I told you that a teenager, 15, 17 years old, who has learning difficulties, comes home and finds his mother and father laying on the floor, one dead, the other in the process of dying, he runs next door neighbor, uh, to the neighbor and they call immediately 911. The police come and they immediately arrest the boy. Now there's no evidence for this, but as all the way in, they tell him, you did it, you did it, you did it. Now this, this kid doesn't have a record, but you did it, you did it, you did it. To a person with learning difficulties that are obvious. You know, a lot of people have learning difficulties that aren't. Uh, there are some that are and they put him in a room and they grill him without letting him go to the bathroom hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Keep yelling at him, he did it, they, they know he did it. And then 
Well, the detective leaves for a bit, then comes back in and says, you know what? Your mama was dead, but your dad, he was still barely alive. And in the hospital, they hit him with a whole bunch of stimulants so he could just come to consciousness just for a few seconds. And they said, who did this to you? And he said, you did it. And then he died. Is that okay with you? The kid said, I, I guess I must have then. And so they had him act out how he did it. And when he did it wrong, they re-coached him to show him how he really did it. And all of this is on video. All of this is on video. Once they got it, got him to say, I guess I did. I must have blacked out. I don't know how I, and they acted it all out, signed the confession. He's in prison for life. Is that okay with you? Because it was all a lie. His mom and dad were dead. There was no hospital scene. There was no naming by the father of the son. But you ready? America, the United States of America, is one of the few Western countries where you are allowed to lie to a defendant or a suspect. It is, uh, it is absolutely um, either a, a very high level misdemeanor or a felony to lie to a police officer ever in America. But they can lie to you without limits. Did you know that? Who says? The Supreme Court does. This has made it to the Supreme Court more than once. And the Supreme Court has said, well, you know, public order. And so they can come in and say, you failed your polygraph when you didn't. We got your DNA when they don't. A neighbor saw you when they didn't. A ring uh, video doorbell has you on camera when it doesn't. And Dr. Kassin wrote a book called Duped. Kassin's K-A-S-S-I-N. You can freeze this and have a look. Um, you will become infuriated when you go through this. Dr. Kassin's not a bleeding heart liberal, neither am I. Uh, but it's wrong. It's broken. And here's even worse. And he gives names, dates, case numbers, and such of prosecutors who knew the suspect was cleared by DNA and cleared by, by witnesses. And polygraphs, by the way, are not admissible in any court in the United States because they're rubbish. They're pseudoscience. There is no truth to them. And so you can say it meant what you want it to mean in the United States. And prosecutors who know the person didn't do it have gone ahead with the trial, withheld that evidence, put the person in prison for life, and later, when approached by the Innocence Project, admit that they did it and say they don't care, they'd do it again. That's one of the big reasons that I can't support these super long sentences. Because by the way, once you make a confession, most appellate courts and even the Supreme Court turns them away, but most appellate courts will not touch, even if presented, here's the DNA that clears them, here's this that clears them, here's a person that confessed and their DNA was at the scene. They won't take it because the confession trumps all. And once they dupe you into the confession, and you might say, well, I'll never do that. Yes, you would. Yeah, I'm, there are, there's a school 
that's run, he's now deceased by a lawyer in Chicago, but it's still named after him. They train law enforcement officers all over the world, but especially in the United States, how to lie and cheat a person into prison. And they're proud of it. It's awful. Besides that, the preciousness of human life. Why are we warehousing people for 20, 30, 40 years instead of trying to find a way to help them? There are going to be some people that can never be released. We get this. But there should be some sort of a testing, some sort, and there is. And we know uh, at our safe harbor that in one state, there are almost 90, 90 clemency orders by the clemency board saying, we recommend this person without reservation, let them out that are sitting on a governor's desk, not signed two, three, four, five years later. And then when a governor does sign them, as a recent news article put out, some states like the state of Louisiana don't, still doesn't release them. The governor ordered clemency immediate release. No, no. Why is that? There is a lot of money in prisoners. Now this is not just private prisons, but this is also state prisons, federal prisons. Prisoners have to pay for their medicine. They have to pay for, if you didn't know that. You get sick in a prison, the doctor doesn't come check on you. You have to pay for the doctor to come. How are you gonna get that? When you're making four cents an hour in some of these prisons, four cents an hour, and a doctor's visit starts at $10. How are you gonna do that? And then you have to buy the medicine. You have to go to the commissary and buy whatever they have told you you gotta buy. And all that money has got to come from you. Oh, and they also charge you for about everything else. When I go to visit these prisoners, I'm told the amount of money I'm allowed to bring into the facility. And I take every penny because the facility is going to take it. If I want to meet with them, I've got to buy their meal. And because it's disrupted the flow, even long after I'm gone, supper time, I need to buy their supper. And because if they're in a group, I need to buy supper for the group. Oh, do I want a picture with me and the prisoner? That'll be $3 per picture. I walk in routinely. If you're on death row in this particular prison, it's $50. If you're in general population or life row, you can take up to $100. And I come out with a couple dollars, if that. They're making money all the time. And these prisoners that are working for four and 10 cents an hour, the stuff they make is sold to rich people in restaurants and shops. It's horrible. So no, I can't support the death penalty because I've read too many of these appeals and habeas corpus and such where I have seen gross abuses that put these people in prison. And yeah, uh, if you're black and poor, you don't have a shot. You just don't. And I know everybody's tired of everybody yelling racism at everything. I get that. But this is measurable. It's data. You can see it. And you can look into people's eyes and hear the story and go look at the facts and find they're true. But it doesn't matter anymore. They're there. So I've just changed my mind. Yeah, we need to be tougher at the early part to stop the life of crime. We, this releasing dangerous people on the streets is completely wrong. But we need to understand that's not the only thing wrong. Policing, and I love police officers, they know it. They call me brother. 
at the federal, state, county level all over the U.S. And they are my brothers and sisters. But they know the system's broken. But they also know if they don't use it, they're out. And by the way, not only does that need to change, we need to recruit better people for police officers and train them better. The budget needs to be doubled on them so that they know their business and we get the best quality people we can get. Because we're not doing that. If you're a police officer, it's, it's hard to pay your bills and you're not going to put a kid through college on that salary. Why would we do that to people? There's so much to be done, isn't there? So I do what I can where I can with what I've got, because that's what our safe harbor says for everybody to do. But when it comes to final things like death penalty, no, no. I want, I want to find a way for our whole system to look more like Jesus and maybe we'll have a better outcome. Maybe. I don't know for sure. I just know being like Jesus is what he told me to be. And you. All right, this is a long one. Sorry for the length. Hope you have a wonderful Monday or whenever you get around to listening to this. You have questions, you have follow-up. Info at rsafeharbor.com. God bless. Cheers.